Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Pax. So for this week, we do not have anything on the week grand update, unfortunately. So we're going to get straight into today's reading, which is Ghost Spider Annual Number 1, which was dropped back in 2019 alongside the Ghost Spider Number 1 relaunch. And we read the arc that was from last week. Uh, it was Dog Days Are Over. So we're reading through the main Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider comics. What happened in Dog Days Are Over, Gwen sort of established this new status quo split between going to uh, uni on earth 616 and going you know sort of living in earth 65 and fighting gangsters which is her home earth um she's now just taken on the name ghost spider we got into all the stuff about that and 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 now what we're looking at is this annual now this annual sort of set apart it's set with within that same status quo but it's sort of set apart from the ongoing storylines at the moment it's part of the acts of evil event which was a sort of series of annuals across different titles which explored heroes fighting villains from rogues galleries that weren't theirs so uh here gwen is fighting arcade who is not a ghost spider villain which is more 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 of spider-man villain. you know who does, who does arcade normally fight i think he's more associated with x-men but yeah he messes with almost everybody yeah yeah he does like the he makes it makes an evil world that they've got to fight stuff in and then try and escape and it's a whole game right like this is whole shtick yeah um so yeah he's in this and this isn't written by our usual creative team it is written by vita ayala and drawn by perry perey and with colors from rochelle rosenberg oh, and clayton cows lettered it who i think has lettered every issue of spider gwen ghost spider up until uh like gwen versus carnage if i'm right yeah um yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's lettering it, and so yeah, we have um, a, a sort of a, a fresh creative team here. And if uh, Vita uh, also wrote the uh, recent Night Gwen single issue that we reviewed, that was quite good. They are also working on Children of the Atom and New Mutants within the X Books department. So yeah, they've been they've been making a lot of comics, and I think they're a very good writer, and also the non-binary. So that's super cool. Perry Perey is really good artist. He does um, Spider Woman ongoing at the moment, and he's really good at like is it martial arts type. That's his specialty. His martial arts type stuff, right? I guess. Sadly, I haven't read any much of uh, his and Pacheco's run on Spider-Woman, but based on what I saw and the issues that I have of Spider-Woman from that team, yeah, there's a lot of martial arts going on. Yeah, like he's got, um, his whole thing is sort of an appreciation for him, like different moves. I think he's got some kind of martial arts background from what I understand. So he's actually... Yeah, he's experimenting with a lot of different stuff, and and you see, and, you, and we'll talk about it, I guess, more as we go through this. So uh, we'll put the links on where to buy and what to read. Unfortunately, Ghost Spider Annual isn't collected in any of the physical editions um, that have been published for Gwen so far. It's not collected with the Dog Days Are Over trade, and it's not collected with the Party People trade. So the only places you can read it really at the moment, if you haven't got it already as a single issue, is to buy it digitally. So you can read it on Marvel Unlimited or comicsology or you can find it on ebay maybe it's somewhere on ebay um <laughs> somebody's maybe somebody's selling it there but it maybe hiked up the price of it there but yeah it's um 
oversized at 32 pages and yeah we're going we're going to get into it here uh what we do every week is we have a synopsis so that everybody has a summary of what's going on we're all on the same page our memories are jogged and we don't have to recap anything while we're giving our thoughts on it so yeah that's what we're going to do now comic begins it's the end of class at empire state university on earth 616 and some of gwen's classmates invite her out for fast food and studying together Gwen politely declines, reflecting upon her decision to disassociate from the people here as she is from Earth-65, and that she should try not to attract attention or stick around more than she needs to outside of studying. While Gwen swings home, she inadvertently lands on a pressure plate, springing a trap. The ground beneath Gwen gives way to one of the supervillain Arcade's murder worlds. Despite its current occupant, Arcade intended this murder world to be for Spider-Man Peter Parker. Gwen tries to inform him of this, but finds that the system is automated and all the messages left by Arcade, still talking as if Spider-Man had sprung the trap, are recordings. In the distance, a silhouetted figure is dragged away, screaming for help. Gwen decides to play Arcade's game and chases after them. She's soon intercepted by the Lizard, however. Gwen fights through flashbacks to Peter 65's similar monstrous transformation and vicious assaults from the villain, long enough to realize that this version of the lizard is just a robot when its wiring is exposed during the fighting. Gwen soon dispatches the lizard by ripping some of its wiring directly out. She continues her way through the complex, but is confronted by a litany of robotic duplicates from Spider-Man's rogues gallery one after the other, Vulture, Craven, Rhino, and Green Goblin. She defeats them each in short order. However, the helpless victim Gwen is trying to save remains well ahead and out of sight dragged along by their captor. Arcade switches tactics at this stage of the murder world. Instead of Spider-Man's greatest foes, he has created duplicates of his allies, Punisher and Daredevil. While perhaps Arcade intended for Spider-Man to struggle to bring himself to fight his allies, Gwen has no such qualms about fighting what are the counterparts to her arch nemeses back on Earth-65. Applying her full strength in the fight, she brutally destroys both of the robot duplicates. Gwen dwells on the bleak world around her, considering the robot's fate, asking, Is this all we are? Fighting and struggling and eventually failing? She is frustrated at her whole existential situation and further considers that she's being too hard on herself. Gwen finally confronts the hostage and the kidnapper, robot duplicates of Gwen Stacy 616 and Spider-Man. Robo Spidey, acting as the hostage taker, suspends Robo Gwen from the ceiling of an elevator shaft as the final piece in the faux rescue scenario Arcade has constructed to traumatize Spider-Man. Gwen continues to play her role and fights Spider-Man in the close quarters of the elevator shaft. Meanwhile, the fake Gwen cries out for help. Angry, Ghost Spider reflects on that Gwen is more than that and that she is not fighting to save a damsel in distress. She is fighting for herself because she gets to define her identity and that she deserves better. The Spider-Man robot proves to be tougher than the earlier opponents Gwen faced, and she has to switch tactics to best it. She slings a spider's web across one side of the elevator shaft and, positioning herself so that Spider-Man is in between her and the web, lunges at Spidey. The robot anticipates the move, but inadvertently throws itself into the web, getting out of the way, leaving it completely stuck and helpless. At this point, Robo Gwen's webbing gives, dropping it into the shaft below. Real Gwen safely catches her counterpart before the robot could fall too far. A recorded message of Arcade plays out, conceding the win to Gwen and showing her the way out. 
Gwen makes her way to the study and fast food spot that the other students invited her to. There she catches up with her classmates, realising that she deserves the chance to just live in the moment, an opportunity Gwen 616 doesn't have, and something she had been denying herself up until this point. And this has been our Ghost Spider Annual. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, one of two annuals ever that have been made for Gwen, so... The other one we did was Spider-Gwen Annual Number 1, which was done back on the Latour run. So this is the only one that is done during the Maguire era. And I like it. I think this is some really good Ghost Spider stuff. And it's very self-contained. Like, you could hand this to somebody and just say, here, read this. And it sort of frames Ghost Spider really well, I think. And even though it could be read on its own, I feel like you probably should read Dog Days Are Over just to give context to Gwen's situation right now. Yeah, I um yeah, it's very tied in with that concept. I have to wonder if like is an editorial thing, like they sat down in the room with like Sean and, and Vita and maybe like Devin Lewis and, and sort of all sort of hashed out what they want the new status quo to look like so that it sort of stays uniform. Because even though this is very disconnected, I think from Doug Dazer of like you say, it feels very tied into that whole concept. Yeah, because Gwen mentions that she's not from around here. She's from another Earth, and she's attending Empire State University at the beginning of the issue. Yeah, yeah. I have to wonder, like, chronologically where it fits in, because it's after Ghost Spider number one, but it's definitely before, like, party people. So that's why we've put it here in our read-through. Yeah, it makes sense for it to take place in between five and six. Yeah. Yeah, there's no chronology issues, even though it was sort of written parallel, which is nice. And I like it. I wish they'd tried to, like, have recurring classmates for Gwen. Like, because Benji and Kosei show up a couple of times in the Dog Days are over and don't get much time. And none of the classmates here, as nice as they seem, uh, show up again or even get names. So, you know, I, I just, like, if they'd perhaps had some, re- like, tried to have some recurring characters across books there, they, they maybe could have had um, maybe a bit more of an emotional grounding in, in Gwen's uh, standing within her classes, I guess. I guess that her classmates are kind of considered expendable at this point because after a hot second or just a couple of issues, they never show up again. Yeah, it's rough. Gwen's not making many friends, really. She's losing more friends than she's making, I think, uh, at this point in her comic books. And really, I think what Ghost Spider Annual Number 1 does really well is fitting into this whole sort of post-prison status quo for Gwen in terms of she's trying to find her place in the world. Or the worlds, rather. And uh, yeah, it's sort of like hit or miss, you know? And she also makes the point that being on Earth 616, she doesn't even belong there because I think what she said was this world already has its spider people. Yeah, like I think intellectually, Gwen realizes that there's already spider people on Earth 616. So her time is better spent on Earth 65, where there are no spider people. In fact, there are very, very few superheroes uh, for New York 65 something which is a problem for it so like i wonder if she sort of has that in mind like every second she spends on the 616 is valuable as the time that she spends on her 65 which i think in terms of crime fighting is valid but in terms of like she starts applying it to everything in a sort of neurotic way to the sense where she doesn't even let herself form these connections with people and i think that's sort of what is being explored here yeah because i'm thinking you know um she has to form friendships with her classmates at some point because well for one instance the main reason why she attended esu on 616 is just 
because she can't on back on Earth 65 because everyone knows her. But on 616, you know, she has a secret identity and she decides to take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think a lot of it is about identity and, and about Gwen trying to reclaim identity that's been taken from her. And like that comes up a lot in this. And I think the point is that if Gwen withholds herself from forming connections with other people, if she doesn't properly define herself, um, then she isn't a whole person in the same way that like Gwen 616 isn't a whole person, or at least narratively speaking, is this sort of just tragic event for somebody else who is not Gwen. And she sort of sees that in Gwen 616 and reflects upon her own sense of self and the fact that she does need to build these connections and let herself enjoy things um, so that she can be a whole person and, you know, a nuanced person with a life so that she isn't just another traumatic event for anybody else. Well, I think in fairness, almost every member of uh, the spider totems have some sort of traumatic event that they go through and then trying to pick up the pieces so they can have some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, absolutely. I think the power dynamics are interesting, though, with Gwen 616, because it is so skewed in Peter Parker's perspective of the situation and, and his feelings on it. And when it's reflected upon, it's always like this this sort of woeful, terrible, tragic event for Peter Parker. You know? Like they sort of they give that that narrative line to Arcade in this, you know, and the robots that he's created, like they're like, oh, no, look at this terrible event. Look at your greatest failure, Spider-Man. When in reality, it's it's somebody else's death. And it's somebody else's identity and life that was lost with their own nuances. I think the uh, only other instance that Gwen's death was exploited as some sort of sick entertainment tool was, um, if any of you have read Amazing Mary Jane, that was the plot of Mysterio's movie. I think one of the lines was, I failed to save the police captain's daughter. Yeah, yeah. And I think like it's uh, I think it's a classic example of um, the fridging trope, right? Where... Um, you kill off a character, you kill off usually a love interest, right? To generate a quest of vengeance or depressive arc or sort of self-reflection and whatever and trauma for the male lead. And that sort of comes through here, I think, a lot. And they contrast it because what Vita Yala does is makes that narrative seem, I think, silly by having Gwen be the person stuck in the murder world. If it had been Spider-Man it perhaps would have looked very serious and very traumatic. But because Gwen's there looking at this going, hold on, this isn't Peter's thing. This isn't Spider-Man's thing. It's a whole other person who died. It's it's a whole other person's trauma. It's not something that should be used like this. And I think that's very, very meta because Gwen does sometimes look at spoken of like that, I think, especially by some fans in a very um, unfair, I think, sense. And uh, yeah, you know. And even like speaking to a Gwen 616 fate, like. When she was fighting the uh, Robo Spidey, you know, she kept reminding herself, why is she Ghost Spider? You know, it's to uh, help out the little guy and to have a sense of responsibility and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um... And that Gwen is so much better than just being the girl who died on the bridge. Exactly. And and I think this is the larger narrative, which has grown out the Ghost Spider comics, that whatever direction they go in, they are... You know, it's always going to be sort of reclaiming an identity for Gwen that she never really had the chance to get. And Vitaola has such a mind for this in this comic. Like, they really get that whole dynamic um, and that whole meta-narrative surrounding comics about Gwen Stacy. And, yeah, they use it to great effect in this particular issue here. And, like, it ends on a practical note. 
in that, like, you know, as a reader, you know, you can take away from it, like denying yourself connections or um, to enjoy things in the moment, even with the sort of existential dread of the future dawning on oneself is ultimately to deny yourself your own identity and your own fulfillment in life. And for Gwen, it's very, very bleak up until she makes that realization. And I think that's really nice. I think it's it's a really nice sort of, you know, message that comes through in this book that I really, really enjoy, you know. It's a good comic. I, I think it's it's really well conceived. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the same time when Gwen's going through her uh, existential crisis regarding being compared to Gwen 616, you could tell that as she progresses through the murder world, she is just not having it with arcades games. Yeah, yeah, she sort of... She almost feels bad for the robots. I've noticed on a few occasions, like she actually, um, like she feels really bad for Lizard, understandably, because uh, it resembles Peter sixty five. And but first, she thought that it was the real deal at first before uh, reminding herself that this is not Peter. Yeah, no, I think that was a really interesting way that uh, Ayala folded in Gwen's history with these particular characters, because obviously, when Gwen looks at these people, she isn't seeing. The six one six versions necessarily like the sixty like her the at least emotionally speaking, the feelings that she has about the sixty five versions probably come to mind first. So the sentimental attachment or fear that perhaps Arcade would have wanted from Peter Parker doesn't come to the fore in the same way. So yeah, like it it, it twists it in interesting ways. Like I like the um like how Gwen has like those sort of flashbacks as she's fighting the lizard two pieces transformation i thought that was really interesting and the brief but i thought that was really quite quite cool and then when she encounters the daredevil and punisher androids she says that you know she's got no problem in taking down those freaks yeah it's actually quite funny because the deaths come quick and fast when they do come and um like the, they do pull some paint expressions and stuff and she she like blows up daredevil's head um and she knocks punisher back so far that like his robot head detaches from his body somewhat over some fencing and what i did was i screenshotted this page and i put it on twitter and, and a couple of people saw it and panicked for a second thinking that ghost spider had killed daredevil and punisher in some reality somewhere and um no it was just um they, obviously they're just robots but i think it was it was interesting to see the depth of Gwen's power when she's not thinking about holding, like pulling punches. I thought that was fun. It's like you can place Gwen in a room of Punisher and Daredevil LMDs. It's just, it's just going to be another Thursday for her. Just like no sweat. Yeah. Very, very in her element. And obviously she's the, the, the physical better of, of those two on Earth 65 as well. So yeah, like I thought that was fun. That was a good fight. But yeah, I thought the best fight I, I liked was the, the one versus Spider-Man at the very end, because he is more of a physical match for her. She doesn't brutally kill him because he's too difficult to fight like that, if that makes sense. Because the objective there was to uh, save Gwen, like Spider-Man was just an obstacle yeah. to go save Robo-Gwen. Yeah, yeah, like, um, I will say like that whole fight sequence between um Gwen and Pete, well, fake Pete, I thought was really, really good. I really, really enjoyed that. It's really great. And it has it has all those captions about tragedy and identity, like overlaying some really, really just splendid panels of these two characters fighting. I love the splash page where they've both thrown punches at each other and they've both managed to just miss each other by a hair. 
while um Gwen, you know, considers her own dreams and desires and stuff. And there's just there's just panel after panel of, of cool kick and leaping and punching. And yeah, like I think it culminates in a really creative way. Gwen literally traps him in a web, which I thought was fun. She like outmaneuvers Pete by webbing up the elevator behind him and then sort of getting him to dodge back into it, like to dodge backwards so that he fell into the web and got stuck there. And I thought that was really cool. It's a really good fight. It's, it's probably one of the like, top sort of ghost spider fights, I think. I'm just wondering like, if it really was Pete that entered into this murder world, would things have gone differently just because he doesn't have Gwen's creative thinking? Um, yeah, I think, I think he definitely have had a harder time fighting that last one. He absolutely like, he, he probably would have had the whole trauma thing. You know, he, he would have done the whole, oh, woe is me. Uh, I failed my girlfriend thing, which, which Arcade obviously wanted. But definitely, I think the way that the Spider-Man decoy robot, whatever, fights would have been a tough one for him to fight. I'm sure he would have done it. Like, it's Arcade. It's like, who loses against Arcade? You know, who loses against Arcade? Like, Bad gamers. Very bad gamers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but before Gwen got into a Robo Spidey and the Daredevil and Punisher bots, you know, there was this whole hot second where she had to fight, you know, uh, some of Spider-Man's, you know, most deadliest people because of Vulture, Craven, Rhino, and Goblin, all you know, villains that Gwen has fought versions of before. Yeah, like presumably because they are robots, they're easier fights. I, I mean, just across the board, across all of these fights, they're, they're, they're going to be easier than their actual super-powered and super-high-tech uh, real-life people. But it's, uh, yeah, it, it, you do get to see Gwen fight the gamut of the big names from the Spider-Man Rogues Gallery and also every villain right it's like almost every villain like counterpart of of the ones that she's fought back in earth 65 which i thought was really interesting except for goblin unless if you want to count her version of goblin just being the gwen goblin because she's never fought a norman osborne before no no i mean i mean i mean she's got harry i guess true yeah harry osborne's been green like the de facto green goblin a couple of times right like he's he's done that job yeah um so yeah like you know they're in there they're in there yeah, I think that all the murder world's missing is a Doc Ock and, or a Mysterio or whatever. They have a Sinister Six because they only got the Sinister Five right now. Yeah, the Sinister Five, not as sinister as the Sinister Six because it doesn't have the alliteration. I think Frightful Five would have worked. Oh, yeah, not, not, yeah, no, I hear it. Yep, with the alliteration, they become more dangerous. Because there is a Frightful Four, but yeah. they've always been four. There's never been a five-member team. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I um, it's um, one of those things, I guess. But yeah, they don't fight as a team, though. Like, I don't know if I made it clear enough in the synopsis. These are, like, fights one after the other, right? She fights Lizard, then she fights Vulture, then she fights Craven. I think Vulture, Craven, Rhino, and Goblin, they were in the same room. Um... The caption puts one by one. So the way I see that sort of big panel where she fights all of them is that is individual fight after individual fight as she fought Lizard and as she fought Spider-Man, you know, they were just they were just people who were showing up one after the other. Oh. as sort of like like different levels, different bosses. Oh, I always interpreted that as them being in one room and they just dogpile her. Yeah, I feel like with a fight that big they would have wanted to maybe show it differently. But because it's like that, 
it feels more like a like a montage series that doesn't feel like a, a singular room more like snapshots of movements from different rooms like they're trying to show her actually what it's like to be playing the game yeah and also another thing that they they're doing with this is they're showing gwen fighting her way up a building and at the top of the building there is an elevator shaft from which gwen stacy is suspended so the so the presumption then is that she's been fighting vertically and that must mean that she's done more than three floors i would imagine with a new york building that like each of these villains would have just been on a new floor right and that way, you know, she's been going up this complex for a while until she gets to Spider-Man at the end. At least that's the sort of, that's the way the pacing, I think, is being put across as a, as a sort of tall building that Gwen steadily works her way up until she gets to Spider-Man and Gwen. I think if Gwen wanted to cheat, she could have just used the Konami code. Uh, yeah, right. It's interesting, though, because, like, she chooses to play the game, even though there's definitely ways she could have cheated her way around this. I think she could have just not played it. Because Arcade, or rather the automated message of Arcade, said that Gwen could have left at any time, but because of her predictable behavior, it's in her nature to go save people. Yeah, it is. Um, and she goes after that. It's like she saves the android anyway. Like She could have walked away from that and gone, you know what, I don't need to save these androids. But I think the way that she sees it is that she's got to win the thing to get Arcade to let her out. But also, I think it becomes like a personal thing for her, right? Like she sees Gwen Stacy being used in this way. She doesn't want to let these machines win. She doesn't, which I thought was, I like that take on it. Because I think it's been heavily implied that this murder world was built shortly after Gwen 616 died because Gwen noted out that the game is crumbling. It's falling apart. Yeah, it's, um, I think the sort of the older nature of it was quite interesting. It was, it was all sort of classic looks and arcade isn't really all there and like literally physically not there and so no because he's just an automated message so that yeah. means you know that murder world has been there for a while and pete just never got to it i i yeah i like the joke that they make earlier in towards the sort of like the moment where gwen realizes that she's arguing with a recording that she's essentially having to fight a voicemail like i've been trapped in the esu upside down by a voicemail Right, I love that line. I think that was really funny. So yeah, like I think uh, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, and it makes for a really good sort of well self-contained one-shot into Gwen's sort of psychological space that she's in at the moment. She's sort of, and it's sort of leading in from like this from Dog Days Are Over. Obviously, like she has this thing where she's struggling to fit in, and she's yeah, like it's it's all sort of leads in well from from that. And here she's concentrating on how Gwen 616 deserved better. She was her own person. She had something bright ahead of her. And then for this tragedy to befall her. And that's the thing that defines her. Gwen's having none of that. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, and I, I like this. This is a good narrative shift away from the way that Gwen Stacy has historically been used by Spider-Man writers. And even Spencer, for all his faults, uh, using Gwen in, in The Last Remains stuff does specifically have a scene where Gwen recognizes that narrative problem with the way that people talk about Gwen Stacy. And I do like that they stick to this sort of narrative with the Ghost Spider comics of reconciling it with Gwen 616 by acknowledging that Gwen 616's death is a tragedy for Peter Parker is a sort of wrong way of talking about it and trying to reclaim the identity for something new and Gwen 65 by and large is, is a functionally different character but that specific connection there I think justifies her as a Gwen Stacy 
Well, at least this one never found out about her counterpart's alleged affair with Osborne. Um, yeah. Even though he does hint at it, you know, back in Last Remains when he tries to get too close to her. I have to imagine she finds out about it. I, I really hope somebody lets her know about the change. I really do. It would be a terrible thing to sort of have that weighing on you. Because we talked about this last week about how sins past, it never happened. Well, it happened, just not with Gwen 616, right? Like it didn't, it was a clone or an illusion. Yeah, it was a fake memory. Yeah, or a pillow, I don't know. Norman Osborn <laughs> was not with Gwen, though. That was the important thing. And, um, like, that's what we're all relieved about. Um, and that's sort of a blemish off Gwen 616's record. Because she, she just gets misused by the narrative. Even by, like, Straczynski in the noughties, right? Decades after the initial death of Gwen Stacy, they were finding fresh ways to narratively just trash that character and you know i'm i'm very much relieved that we have this pivot here that we have the ghost spider comics and and that we have writers like vita ayala who recognize the problems with that and find really meaningful ways to reconcile that with gwen 65 yeah i'm just glad that well vita they do definitely have a voice for gwen and i'd be psyched if they got another shot at writing gwen absolutely this creative team is great I'd love to see an ongoing from Ayala and Perry. Absolutely. I, I think I think they do a smashing job here. I think Perry would be um, occupied with Spider-Woman, so... Yeah, yeah. Unless Kingpin has anything to say about that in his new event or whatever. In Devil's Reign? Yeah, like Devil's Reign. So Spider-Woman has been renewed as far as Devil's Reign, right? They're, I think they are renewing it arc by arc. Whenever Pacheco gets interviewed, Carla Pacheco, the writer, gets interviewed by the uh, To Know Is To Fear podcast, those uh, lovely guests that we had on for the Spider-Woman episode, whenever they interview Carla Pacheco, Carla Pacheco talks of that run as if it was being renewed on an arc by arc basis. So we know it's been uh, solicited in as far as Devil's Reign, and it's entirely possible something could happen to Spider-Woman and that. Either way, Perry Perret is... The artist, the one on your fave at the moment, I think, because he does a really good job in this. I think all of the layouts, all of the um, the way he draws form, he has such a such a sort of really good sense of positioning and how the human body looks when it's punching stuff, um, and it makes this a really satisfying comic to read. Every punch, every kick, every jump, like even the way that he draws Gwen landing. Is just very pleasant to look at. It's very, um, it's a very good comic and culminates in that sort of acrobatic fight between Pete and and Gwen. And I just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so stoked about his art. Like Carla Pacheco is a good writer, and I, I love her Spider Woman run. But um, like, even if she was writing a terrible run, I'd still read it for Perry Perret's art because it's so good. It's so so good, especially when he has Frank Demart doing the colors as well. It's even better than that. So yeah, like. He's a solid, solid um, artist, and like that, he got to do an issue of Ghost Spider, extra sized one. It's something I, I get more grateful for as he becomes a more and more prolific artist. Um, that will always have this um, from his earlier days at Marvel. So, would you add Perry Perea to your wish list of artists for Gwen? Oh, absolutely! I, 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 I want him on my wish list of all Marvel comics forever. You know, give, give, give that guy as much work as he can, uh, you know, as much as he wants. He, he deserves it. He's just so good, so so good. And um, yeah, if he got put on a Ghost Spider book, I'd be elated because anything in the same vein as this would be really great. Absolutely, I'd love to see what he could do with an ongoing. 
kind of character designs he could come up with because obviously he doesn't come up with any new character designs for this because everything is a classic villain but yeah i'd be interested to see what he could do with a ghost spider book you hear that marvel at spidey office <laughs> let's hope so pick up ghost spider please we're begging you <laughs> yes please yeah absolutely yeah peri is great and and unlike any any ghost spider book obviously i'd, I'd just be late to a ghost spider book again um the colors in this uh i think were good but the way that rosenberg colors gwen's outfit just sort of didn't seem right like the pink it's a it's a sort of it's a pink pink like there's no purple in her hood or webbing it's a pink pink which isn't quite accurate to what her hood and webbing should look like it's more of a i think in fairness it depends on the colorist who does Gwen's pink slash purple slash fuchsia on her costume because sometimes it looks a little bit inconsistent. It does. It does. I'll, I'll hand them that, but I'm firmly in the purple camp. And the thing which seemed really weird to me was the way they colored Gwen's lower half because they color it using blue, which is fine normally. You can use like a dark blue to accent and render it in such a way where it still appears black. But they used the exact same technique for Peter Parker's blue in his costume. So there's some, like, you can look at the splash page where Peter and Gwen are facing down, right? And you can see that they have the exact same coloring and rendering for Peter's blue parts of his costume and for Gwen's black parts of her costume, which gives Gwen the appearance of wearing a white and blue outfit, which just, I didn't, didn't vibe with that. Didn't vibe. I guess you could say it's more of a navy yeah, oh, it's it's absolutely yeah. It's, it's in the darker shades, and, and it's not like an egregious light blue or anything. But it's there, and it's coloured the exact same way that Pete is. So it looks like she has the same colour, uh, colouring for her bottom sort of half of her outfit. So yeah, I thought that was yeah, that was a shame. By and large, I like sort of the bright colours. They got the bright colours right. Uh, Rochelle Rosenberg's colouring is really solid here, and it looks yeah, everything pops. The murder world is is not sand by arcade, so everything's bright, lots of oranges and yellows and stuff, and um, I like that. Well, yeah, I think that uh, Rochelle Rosenberg's colors on Murder World, like yeah, it feels appropriate because it's sort of like a game world. You know, everything's supposed to be fun. Well, not fun for the occupants, but mm. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Yeah. I think the thing you have is like Perry Perez, essentially he's drawing an apartment complex. He's drawing like he's drawing it, albeit empty, but it's still like like a street in New York, right? But that's part of Murder World, right? So to make it look like it's otherworldly, to make it look like it is a murder world, they have to do those colours. And that's you know, I I think you get the impression that the place that Gwen is in feels not real. Not not necessarily because of AR's writing or Perry's lines, but specifically because of the colours that were chosen by Rosenberg for um to sort of the different background elements of the scenes. Because, well, as Gwen made a topical reference to it being the upside down, and then, like, I don't watch Stranger Things, but I am aware that the upside down, its vibe is sort of, you know, ethereal and... Yeah, like a distorted dark reflection. Yeah, the, the upside down is definitely darker than the regular world in Stranger Things. Um, but I think the sentiment of it being a sort of more horrific landscape would remain true. Yeah, even before that, she says that she definitely thinks she's not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, a little Alice in Wonderland reference. I like that with Gwen. Wizard of Oz, actually. Oh my days, you're right. Why did I make that mistake? That's so obvious. My bad. I like that about A.R.'s writing and that they bring in the pop culture referencing that Gwen does. 
Cage New Maguire does it, Latour did it a lot, but I think it's a very Gwen thing. Like, Gwen was doing it before MCU Spidey. I need to point this out. Gwen was Gwen was referencing pop culture in funny ways before MCU Spidey was. And I like that being her, the basis for her sort of sense of humor is is that she'll make references to things at times where it's, you know, not super, not super appropriate. Um, I like that as a comedic thing. Do you think she'll ever come up with a plan that was ripped from a movie? I think that's absolutely the kind of thing that Gwen would do as well. Like, you watch MCU Spidey do the whole, like, what if Star Wars thing in Civil War? Like, it absolutely seems like something Gwen would come up with in that moment. And then there's also with uh, that Aliens reference when trying to figure out how to defeat Mantis. Right. Wait, no, not Mantis. Um, uh, Ebony, Ebony Maw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, like, that was a good... Yeah, I like that. That's it's definitely something the Russo brothers like to do with Spider-Man whenever they have, have him, I think. But, um, yeah, it's a good... It's, it's, I like that as a little gimmick. It's a li- nice characterization. Al has got a really good sense for Gwen as being a sort of cool character. Uh, specifically with this annual, not so much with Night Gwen, where they said more specifically that Gwen of the Night Gwen comic was not cool. But this Gwen is cool, and they really get that. She's got the like the the punk rock outfits and the voice that she has is very you know it's sort of aloof but not in a emotionally distant way so yeah like it's done well i and i like i like the voice for gwen here she just needs to cuss more i guess um yeah because especially for us you know we'd have a lot more filled in the stacy swear jar absolutely yeah yeah but no i think if a uh, vita were to uh, pick up the title i think they could make gwen cuss yes yeah, I, I I think they could do that. Absolutely. Um, I guess we'll see because because obviously like Latoya didn't make Gwen cuts in every issue. Uh, I think it's unfair to put that on Vita when they only got thirty two pages here to do that in. But yeah, it's um it's I think it's done really well. This is a really well conceived annual and I'm I'm glad we got to talk about it and it's part of our read through. I recommend it. it gets missed a lot because it's not in any of the collections. It's not been reprinted anywhere since the single issue, I don't think. But yeah, but it's a fun read nonetheless absolutely and uh yeah it's just it's just it's a really good comic i hope we get more stuff like this yeah please marvel yeah please marvel so Uh, i guess that our final opinions has been sort of been lumped into like our thoughts so far because yeah it seems like that yeah we've gone through everything yeah i think we have um yeah it's been it's been good. I think if, if there was like one thing I would have liked to have seen from this comic is an acknowledgement of Gwen's symbiote because even Maguire when she was using Gwen's symbiote very little, still find different ways to like let us know it's there but in this, I don't know if they're aware that it's a thing. Like um, like they could have, um, like a Pere could have at least showed a transformation sequence. Well yeah, and I think like Pere's art I'd love to see what he'd do with, uh, like, combining the martial arts stuff with the way that Gwen can do symbiote stuff. Or even, like, but, like, uh, the, the detailing on the way she takes battle damage on her costume, like, she's taking it like it's a normal spandex suit. Like, she, like her knee gets cut open. Like, the costume around her knee gets cut like, open, right? Yeah, like, it could have shown the symbiote, like, being all wispy and stuff. Yeah, like, there was none of that. And I think, I think this happens a lot. When a writer comes in, to portray Gwen outside of like the regular line is they forget Gwen is a symbiote superhero and and possibly because they just don't get the memo but yeah I did feel like that was lacking from this I I would really like to have seen Gwen do some symbiote fun stuff like that would just you know I just I just want to see Gwen do symbiote stuff it's very cool it's very cool to look at 
Which is why she should exactly meet Eddie since he can show her the ropes. Maybe he can show her some stuff that she thought she wasn't capable of. But yeah. Yeah, we'll see what this new ongoing is like. Depends if um Eddie decides to drop by on Earth. Yeah, I think is Dylan about at least. Yeah, Dylan's parading around as Venom on Earth while Eddie's busy cleaning up Null's mess in space. Yeah, so we got that. We got that. We'll we'll see how that goes then. Um, yeah. So, uh, does that bring our episode to a close here? Yeah, I guess so because this has been a pretty short episode. Nice. Okay. So next week we are going to read the final arc of the Ghost Spider comics. That's Party People, and this continues the sort of status quo we've seen in Dog Days Are Over. There's a bit more of a refocus to Earth-65. We get to meet Susan and Johnny Storm of Earth-65. We get to see some of the outlawed event from Earth-616. We get to see a little bit of the maker, and we'll get to talk a bit about how this comic was cancelled, some of the stuff that got dropped. Uh, We'll get into some of the nitty-gritty of that with a view to reviewing Gwenham versus Carnage the week after. Is that right? Yep. We're in the end game now. And we're yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to reviewing this. This is yeah, there's a lot to talk about here and um this will be the stuff to remember for uh whenever they make a new Ghost Spider book. So that's just something to bear in mind. So party people. That's what we're reading next week. Let's go spider number six to ten. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll read that. We'll put the links for that in the description. So it's Comixology link, the collection, as well as the reading list page that has a bit about where to buy and read. So Marvel Unlimited has all of this run now. And uh, yeah, like uh, that's got a couple of pointers on there. Please do read it. Read Party People. Send in your thoughts about Party People to us. We're on at GS Groupies on Twitter. Uh, email us at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com. Um, and what we'll do is we'll read your thoughts. Like you're part of our book club and we'll get to know what you think about it. Uh, we also have a Kofi page to pay for Podbean subscription. And uh, yeah, if, if you donate to us on there, that, that helps us. Yep. Yeah, it's been good. Much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Abigail. Um, and we'll see you next week. See you, everyone. All right. I've been Pax. And I've been Abigail. Bye. Go vote for Dog Days Are Over. Bye.